Welcome to Pure Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we're on episode 182. Yeah. And this is a special theme episode. But before we talk about that, I thought we'd do a little update because things got really serious for you lately. Yeah. <laughs> so serious, like, okay. So, yeah, so yeah. So if you're, I mean, obviously, if you're in California, you know that California is burning. And if you're not in California, you probably also still know that California is on fire. I mean, it feels like every couple of years, like the whole state is just on fire. Uh, but uh, the crazy thing is, so where we live, um, not too far from like literally my my front yard, backyard, whatever you want to look call it. Uh, my wife and I were actually at our warehouse in the daytime because it was too hot. Our air conditioner really struggles when the heat gets up really, really high. Right. And it was over 100, it was like 109 or 110 degrees. And so our air conditioning just in our fifth wheel just doesn't handle that kind of heat. So we're like, let's go get some work done. Let's relax. Maybe watch some Netflix at the office. And we're kind of hanging out. Next thing you know, we're getting some alerts from some people saying like, hey, like, is the fire near you guys? And we're like, fire? Like, what are you talking about? So real quick, though, we we have a lot of new listeners, by the way. So in case you don't know, Mike moved into a fifth wheel with his wife and his kid. Mm -hmm. How many months has it been? It's been a year now? It's been over a year. Been over a year, right? And it's been part of this whole reselling journey. And you're off the grid, right? So like to get things done, you have to get back on the grid. So you're back on the grid you're trying to get some work done and then you got the messages yeah well when i say off the grid i mean we have internet service in the sense of like our phones works like we get phone like we could do ebay at our house but i mean it's just too hot so we we, we drove into town and we're getting messages from people saying like hey like are you near the fire so we're looking it up and, and we had this feeling there was going to be a fire because it's windy it's dry it's over 100 degrees like 110 degrees and we're just like there's going to be a fire at some point you know in the next couple of days and luckily my son was actually visiting some family so he wasn't in town but we like look out the window at the office and sure enough like we could tell like the direct direction where our house is there's just a massive flame cloud like immediately like this is bad like this is really really bad the amount of smoke that's coming up into the air and so we get home as fast as we can and as we're getting home like it wasn't until we were maybe like a quarter of a mile from our house that we're like, okay, it's over there. Uh, but the whole way it was like, it could be, it could be us, right? It well, could what's be our crazy house. is I texted you cause we live in the same area and I'm like, Hey, by the way, man, have you seen that big fire happening? <laughs> and you're like, uh, you mean this one? And the picture you sent me was crazy. Yeah. So we, as we're like pulling up, like we could see flames, like not just like out in the distance. There's like, you know, like, you see red or smoke, like, like we could see the flames up in the air. Like we could see the, the 20 foot high flames, you know, going for, you know, a quarter of a mile to like almost, you know, half a mile at this point. And this, this, this fire was huge. Right. And it th- like, all we could hope at this point is that the wind doesn't shift because the wind th- it was going uh, towards the, the West. So it was blowing from the East going to West. So all the smoke was actually going into oh. San Diego. Uh, but like where we were, the smoke wasn't actually hitting us because we were just north of the fire and just um uh, east of the fire right so it wasn't actually like like all of the smoke and the wind was going a little bit away from us and so we were not in the direct path but we're watching it still kind of come down this hill and all it had to do was go down this hill and then up another one and then it was it's going to be hitting our property right so we were so close we were, yeah i mean it was really de- like scary a little bit like hectic like what do we do like do we evacuate okay the wind's in our favor right now but it could change, right? It could change on a dime and we're only going to have like maybe a half hour to get out of here if, if the wind changes. And I'm glad you made it. And then, yeah. but the crazy thing about it was you sent me these pictures and then I text you. I'm like, Hey, so you guys are, are evacuating. And you were telling me, we were talking before the podcast, like you, you can't just like, I was thinking you could just hook up your trailer to like a vehicle and just like take off. And it's not that simple. No, I mean, it wouldn't be that simple for us. Cause we're, we're like kind of permanently, we're, I mean, it's a temporary housing setup. Like we're not on a permanent foundation, but the way we've set up, cause we know we're going to be there, you know, five years or more. Uh, so we've built like a fence around our fifth wheel. We have underneath our fifth wheel, we have a holding tank, which is where like basically it's like an above ground septic tank, which we have someone comes in and pumps it every like three months. So when it's empty, like I could pull it out, probably no problem. You know, it's 300 gallons, but it's you know, just a plastic tank. But it's underneath the fifth wheel and it blocks the axles of the the car. And so when it's, you know, getting close to being full, which right now it's like, you know, half full or whatever. I'm sorry, gross, whatever. But um, like there we would we, it would be impossible to pull the fifth wheel out. Like we could not do it without having to like literally find a way to chainsaw that thing open and just let the waste wow. go everywhere and then rip it out, which, you know, we paid like 600 bucks for this tank. So between that ripping up the fence to pull out of there, like we're probably looking at a couple of thousand dollars decision 
and it would it would require us getting a lot of people to come help us. And so we would evacuate like that. We would maybe make that that call if we knew the wind's coming our direction. We maybe have an hour to get out of here. We can try and get through all this stuff as quick as we can. But the problem with fires like that is we're not going to make that decision lightly, right? We're going we had all of our important stuff like my son's medical equipment and like you know pictures and a few things like that packed up in the car ready to go if we needed to leave. Uh, but if the wind shifted and started coming our direction, we wouldn't necessarily have an hour. So if it kept going the way it was, which is what the the everything was indicating it was going to keep going the way it was, we were safe. Leaving would have cost us a bunch of money for no reason, right? Yeah. Which at this point, we're glad we made that decision because we are still safe. Um, the, the It has shifted. The wind has shifted some, but not towards us. Uh, so, but again, anything could happen. And so, I mean, that's one of the the crazy things about being out there. I think the the scariest part, not just scary, but when it comes like financially is... Uh, the fifth wheel insurance counts for like, if we got hit, if we're towing the fifth wheel on the road and somebody like ran into it, it it's like auto insurance. Right. Mm. But if it were to burn down, like a, like the fire were to come up and burn down, you know, the, that property, the, the fifth wheel insurance wouldn't cover it. Right. It'd have to be homeowner's insurance, which we are on the property of uh, my in-laws. And I don't think their homeowner's insurance would cover like, a person parked on their property. You know what I mean? Maybe they would, but it's just a big if and how much work would it take? And will they cover if it's like, this is a dwelling that is not technically like, you know, part of the insurance. So I have no idea whether we'd be covered or if we'd be, we'd be stuck with losing our fifth wheel, losing our house, all of our stuff and not being able to have insurance cover it. Wow. So that okay. was, that was kind of where it was a little scary. Well, I'm sure. glad you guys are okay. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, prayers go out to the families that are still being affected. The fire's still blazing and uh, I don't think it's that much contained yet, right? No. Yeah. Last I saw, it's like over 10,000 acres and still in like 1% contained. So. Wow. Okay. So our prayers go out to those families. So, hey, just wanted to give you guys a quick update. If you follow us on social, you would have seen the pictures and you can definitely see that fire was awfully close to, to Mike and his family. So, I'm glad you're okay. I always tell Mike, how'd you sleep through the night? I'm literally, what am I, like five miles away from you? Mm. And I couldn't sleep well. Mike's like, dude, it would take like eight hours to get to you, like through a concrete jungle. Because I live like in the town. Like I'm not off the grid like he was. But hey, you know, sometimes you worry yeah, about I mean, it's, it's, it's scary no matter what. I mean, yeah, it was crazy. you know, it's no matter what, if you're in the area, you know, it, there's the fear because... This area has had oh know, yeah fires, fires recently. Wild for me. Yeah, and have yeah. gone through and destroyed a lot of dwellings and a lot of structures. And so, um, it's it's no joke. You don't play with fire. Uh, so, you know, and, and again, that's one of those things that uh, we we try and talk about a lot on the podcast. Is you can only control what you can control, mm-hmm. right? And in every situation, you make the best decision you can given given the information you have. Um, and you got to stick with it. and You got to go, but you can't sit and dwell too much. And of course, there's there's fear and anxiety with things like that. But you know there are going to be things that happen. I've mentioned over, I feel like the last couple of months, like 2020 has been just a nut, nutty year, right? For everybody. Yeah, so but true. like, I've had so many car issues and so many like, you know, windows getting busted out and just someone hit my fifth wheel, like just the most random things have happened. But you kind of have to look at that. And even with business, right? Like sometimes a business deal goes poorly or a purchase, like you buy something and it doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to. And you can only control what you can control. And so not to dwell on those things and let it get you down. Uh, because if you sit there and just dwell with that, because I mean, yeah, I would hate to lose my everything, my house and all my stuff. But but if you can't control that, you can't control that. And so you can't live your life with 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 a sense of fear and not just doing what you can do to have the best life you can possibly have and move on. Agreed. Agreed. So glad you're here. Glad we're recording because this was supposed to be recording that night. And now yeah. we're recording on Labor Day. Yeah. I might be checking every once in a while, uh, fire updates. Yeah. So they do. We'll, we'll hear it. I mean, we just heard an eBay sound, but the alert's like louder than that. Mm-hmm. So by the way, those of you that are brand new, probably listening and going, what is this podcast about? Well, hopefully you saw the title because this episode is about the reality of retail arbitrage. Yeah. So the reason I thought, I always do the pause so Mike can do this, yeah. I, I thought we would do this because we're getting, we're almost at Q4. We're in September. Q4 is only less than a month away. And the best-selling items, in my experience, are retail arbitrage items. Now, we're going to encompass both online arbitrage and retail arbitrage. And we're talking about both Amazon and eBay and Poshmark, whatever platform, because you can do retail arbitrage on all of them. But there is, you know, some kind of distinction between each platform and how they handle retail arbitrage. But, you know, we get a question. We get questions a lot about our thoughts on retail arbitrage. Do you think there's still money in it? 
what are some of the dangers, what's the best way to do it. And so I thought it would be appropriate to have an episode on retail arbitrage. So I broke it down into three things. I thought we'd start with the good, and then I thought we'd go to the really bad, and we'll do some hustle of the week. And then I thought we'd start with the best. Well, not start. End with the best. Yeah. So you got to stick around and listen to the whole podcast if you want to hear the <laughs> there, best. There you go. You can listen to all of our non-sponsored <laughs> ads. All right. Yeah. Anyways, that's a whole other story. All right. Hey, so the good. Uh, Mike, what do you think are some of the good things about retail arbitrage? Um, I mean, one not of the, the nice best. things. Good. Okay. Um, here's, here's a, this one's super superficial. Uh, but I'm going to throw it out there and I'll connect it to something more realistic. But it's nice, the, uh, you know, air conditioning. <laughs> you know, you walk into a retail store. You're just feeling that now because it's been like 110 plus. It's been so hot. Uh, but no, I mean, you, right now, dates for my wife and I kind of consist of going to Target and walking around, right? And so one of the nice things about retail arbitrage is there's a handful of Targets in our area or other stores like that that we can do some retail arbitrage at. And so going there and walking around, it's usually a pretty calm and nice experience. You don't have like the rush and the craziness of sometimes at thrift stores and garage sales. Um, and you can do, you know, some personal shopping, take your time, enjoy the the, the cool air. Um, and the nice thing is you always know where they are, right? And a lot of these stores, like sometimes, are uh, not Home Depot, sometimes uh, Walmarts are open 24-7, right? So the you can access these stores a lot of times. Um, it's easier to access them than than maybe a thrift store, right? Their hours are more consistent. You go to a new town. Okay, there's some thrift stores here. Oh, this thrift store is closed on Monday, Tuesday. This one's only open from 11 to 3, right? Like th thrift stores can be all over the place. Garage sales, it's like you got Saturday and that's pretty much it. Whereas, hey, it's a it's a Sunday night at 9 p.m. Let's go to a Walmart, right? Yeah, so, or even if you want to go to Ross, it's like it's Sunday night. Well, I don't know what it is with COVID hours, but pre-COVID, you can get some Rosses like at midnight and you were good. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's a great point. I mean, the, the nice thing about retail arbitrage is, is it, it's consistent. Like you can always go into a store. Now, it all depends on what platform, right? If you're trying to do Amazon, like we talked about with resale addicts, like he'll go in and he'll scan. And if he only finds that like 2% of the items in there are worth it, it's not worth it to him. But if you find that you can get items at these off price stores that you can sell on eBay, and you can, quote unquote, get like replenishables, right? I mean, it's not the same thing as, you know, food or, or health and beauty. But if you find, you know, an item that you can only get, you only get one, you only list it once, but you can find like 30 of them, right? It's easy access, right? It's not like you're going to a bunch of thrift stores. And yeah, it, there is the beauty of that. I will tell you, it, it, it's, I kind of do look forward to Q4 in the sense that when I do retail arbitrage, Right. I, I pretty much I find my few items that I'm looking for. Like I have a list and it's usually about 10 items that I, I send in. I don't I used to do the whole like anything that I can send in and I'll talk about this in another episode. But now I, I try to just find 10 core items which have limited buyers on Amazon and that have a nice ROI. And I just I hit up every single off price store I can and pick up as many of those as I can and I send them in. And it's nice. Yeah, the air conditioning is nice. Yeah, they usually smell a little better. Than there's a, there's restrooms store, in yeah. the store. That's like, a big one. Right? Yeah. There's some snacks at the checkout, like when you're waiting, purposely put there, but they're good snacks. Yeah, don't don't buy those snacks. Not good feel for you. No, they're, they're terrible snacks, but they're good snacks. Right? But, but it's all the right. It's easy access, right? And if you're in an urban area, it's even easier. So I do a lot of retail arbitrage in Los Angeles, and I would say within, I don't know, 10 miles, there's probably like, you know, five to 10 Rosses and TJ Maxx's and Marshall's and DD's discounts and Burlington's and, you know, you name it, Walmart, Target, whatever you want to find. So if you want to get into retail arbitrage, it's there for you. Like it, I believe it's easier access. Now we'll talk about, you know, what are the downfall? What, what are the downfalls? What is the downfall of having easy access? Now, the other part, it's easy to scale, right? Even, I mean, let's talk, we'll talk about, <laughs> the failures of retail arbitrage. But, you know, one of the things that Mike, first things you guys did, right, when we we started reselling was you hit up a lot of stores looking for an item and it was easy to find all those items, right? So now those items weren't profitable. The ones yeah, no, that's true. But, but, but I mean, I, I get what you're saying here as far as scaling because if I go to a, a garage sale, I might find an, an item with incredible ROI. So I might pick up something for five bucks. I can sell it for a hundred but that's a one-off item where I'm lucky if I run into one or two of those a year, 
right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe in my entire reselling career. And so I might learn like, oh man, this special type of shoe, you know, this is a 1987, whatever, Nike, something, another, and I could sell it for a bunch of money. Whereas I might never see that shoe again. Whereas if I find that, hey, there's a certain type of shoe that I can buy at Ross or that I can get it, you know, wherever, Marshalls, this shoe I can sell and make a $20 profit. So it's not as high or maybe Mm -hmm. even a $10 profit. So it's not as high, but I can pick up 50 of them or a hundred of them, one listing, right? And it's, it's much easier to scale in that sense than kind of relying on, hey, this is one big sale, but I can't count on duplicating this over and over and over. Correct. Or you can get into a place like Burlington had these 50% off sales. I, I think it was sometime right right after, you know, the pandemic was kind of calming down and they had these major sales. And so you would see people on Instagram and they're buying like five or six carts full of inventory, right? So you can get yourself a ton of inventory really fast, mm. right? So it is it is easier to scale, right? It's kind of like doing a wholesale deal, except at a store, right? And most of these off-price stores are pretty good about you buying all their stuff. Like they don't give you haggle. Now, the buy box stores do, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Target usually has their, you know, their policies about a limit of something. Walmart will sometimes do that uh, and some other stores. But generally the off-price stores, Ross, Marshalls, TJ Maxx, Burlington, you name it, they, they're okay. They're they happy want, to get their stuff gone. Yeah, because they're already, they're selling clearance. Right. Pretty much. They're selling for the most part stuff that didn't make it in the retail stores or sometimes stuff that's especially made for their stores. Right. And so they they want to offload that merchandise. So it is easy to scale. At the same time, it's also easy to scale because you know exactly what you're looking for. Right. You, you kind of said the same thing with the garage. So it, it's not like, you, you know, right now I'm trying to do a lot of local deals and I'm looking for certain items that I'm selling on eBay there are not retail arbitrage, but it's hard, right? Because I have to, like, for instance, this one item right now that I'm selling within probably 15 minutes of me picking up, I've probably made offers on 50 of them and I've only made, I've only been able to source five of them, right? Really difficult. Now, when I was looking for an example, at one point in time, I was looking for uh, some kind of a trimmer at an off-price store and there was only like three other people on this listing on Amazon and it was really easy like that day. And I know somebody else that's probably listening to the podcast knows about this because they did the same thing is they all they had to do is find that item at every single store. And I was able to pick up, I think last Q4, I picked about 60 to 70 and I was able to sell all through them. It took one listing. I was making $40 profit on each one of them. You do the math. It's about $2,400 and it didn't take much to scale. Right. So totally doable, easy to scale. Now. This is the one that I think a lot of people, why they don't do thrifting and why they don't do garage sales. It's, there's a lot less issues when you do retail arbitrage, right? I mean, you know, if you do liquidation pallets or you do wholesale, they might give you issues in the sense that, you know, sometimes you're buying a box, you're buying a pallet and, but it's, you know, that it's returns, you know, that some of it might be new with tags. For the most part though, I mean, there are sometimes you buy defective stuff at off-price stores. Like sometimes there's Nike shoes that are, defect defected because you know something's off with the glue or something's off with the color or something but for the most part off price storage you're pretty safe like you're not going to find the random hole you're not going to find the snag here it's it's pretty easy like yeah. there, there's and if not you're getting much. it from somewhere like target like not necessarily an off price store but if you're going to target or walmart and you get home and it's like wait a minute this box is already opened or there's something wrong with it you just take it back and return it Oh, and that's the other thing. I mean, that's really nice. And they actually haven't, they haven't done much about the return. I would think at one point, because now we do have a problem in San Diego. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like at Marshall's and some of those stores, they rip off the top of all the boxes, Mm -hmm. which when I go to other parts of the country, it's not like that. So, but pretty much I have zero issues when I go, I have had every once in a while where like you'll buy something and it's like, it's being sold there because they misspelled like Gucci or something. I don't know, <laughs> whatever it is, but, but there's less issues. And then it, you know, the nice thing is if you don't like haggling, well, you don't have to haggle like the price is there. Like you really don't. I mean, you could, I've done it before. Where I've gone into off price store. I said, Hey, what if I bought it all out? Would you be willing to make a deal? Sometimes they'll make a deal. Sometimes they won't. Right. But it's less issues. So less drama, 
And so again, right? It's easy to access, easy to scale, less issue. So it sounds beautiful. It sounds great. Mm. But let's talk about the really bad. Yeah. Okay. Bad. <laughs> what the real bad. Now, what do what do you think are some of the the really bad? Um, I mean, one that kind of stands out to me as far as the bad, other than the barrier sometimes when it comes to like Amazon, right? So I, I do do retail arbitrage. I do retail arbitrage occasionally for eBay, right? So I, I can do decent sales. There's some ROI, um, but I know that the the key is the velocity that comes through Amazon. So there's a little bit of a hurdle there. Uh, but the other thing is, I feel like there's maybe a little bit more competition, not in the sense of you're running into resellers every single aisle, right? But I feel like your competition is more nationwide. Uh, you go into a garage sale or a thrift store and you find an item, chances are, you know, you're you're one of the few people, if it's a good item, that's on that listing. Or there might be a bunch of people on that listing, but, but you're not dealing with people trying to tank a whole market, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're going to retail arbitrage and maybe you find something on clearance, and I'll use clearance as an example because that's oftentimes what I pick up. And it's like, wow, this really is a good deal. I can sell this on eBay, make a $10 profit, and I can pick up 10 of them. Well, if it's clearanced at my target, there's a good chance it's clearanced at most targets, right? And mm-hmm. so all of a sudden, that item that I can maybe make a $10 profit, I've picked up 20 of them, and I'm excited because, hey, this will be easy, one listing. Well, now people are tanking the price because they bought them too, and they're trying to get, you know, sell through and get done with this. And before you know it, you're stuck with a bunch of items where there's no more there's no more return because you're you're the the amount of people who are potentially going to jump on that listing is exponentially higher than, hey, I found something at a garage sale, right? So your competition nationwide goes up. Um, even even at off price stores, um, again, it's going to vary on regions. But you know, there's if there's a certain type of shoe that's making it into lots of marshals across a region, then resellers all in that region are going to be picking those up, right? If they're if they find that item, uh, and so yeah, you're going to be dealing with that 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 battle there. Now, one thing that might help with that we've talked about in the past, and we, I think we used Uno cards as an example. So I'll keep that as the example, but let's say you find something that's like, Hey, this is clearance. It's $2. They normally sell for like $12. I'm going to buy 50 of them. Right? Well, now there's a whole bunch of people doing that. Be the first on the listing with a whole bunch of them and sell the first several at cost or less. Right? So that you're, you're basically breaking even so that you can get that little thing on your on the top of your eBay if you're doing eBay mm-hmm. where it says, you know, 50 items remaining, 12 already sold and that pushes you up to the front, right? right. And then you can slowly start raising your price and people are going to see yours and go, "Well, here's somebody else who's selling it for a dollar cheaper, but I mean, the, I mean, this other person has already sold 50 of them and they have and 50 they have remaining." And they go, yeah. yeah. So that could be helpful to you. So that is one way to potentially mitigate it, but again, other people might be doing the same thing. So there is definitely more, more of a competition in that sense. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's wild. The, the fact that there's easy access is probably the, the worst part about it, right? It, it's a, it's the best part about it and it's the worst part. So I'll give you an example two years ago. And here's what's crazy on at Pierce podcast. You know, at that time, I think we had maybe, maybe two to 3000 followers. We weren't that, that much. And, we, I had, you know, I was in my Instagram stories, but I thought I was always being really stealth. Mm. Right. And I never, I never showed what I picked up, but sometimes I would show a keep a chart. And so keep a chart, those of you listening and don't know what that is. Keep a chart is basically you can go to keep and they show you graphs about a ranking of an item and how much it was at a certain time and how much you can get for it, how many third party sellers and all this good information. So I remember I showed a keep a chart and it, and it was this Shopkins. I forget what it was like. It was like a Shopkins like house and you could pay, you could buy it for 30 at it was like at Ross. Yeah, it was at Ross and you could flip it for probably a hundred. Yeah, it was a hundred and fifty at its peak. And so I didn't show the Shopkins item. I didn't. I did nothing of the sort. I, you couldn't even even when I blurred it, you didn't even see the pink on the box. Like I blurred it so you can even tell the color. So I show this on Instagram, like, hey, here's an item I found at Ross, right? Literally took probably two hours and somebody DM me and somebody said, hey, by the way, somebody in my group. So this was a major influencer who they had a Bolo group. And I think in the Bolo group, at least 300 in the Bolo group found what this item is. And then later they're like, hey, it's this, isn't it? It's this. And I I denied it all. I was like, I'm not saying a word. But it was, 
Like all, all it took was that one individual to go to Ross, scan every single item, which usually all these off price stores, big box stores, they have the same inventory, right? It's not like a thrift store. And they finally found the item. I'm sure the item was shared within the Bolo group. And within three weeks, that item was selling at about $60 instead of $150, right? And there's still profit. It was like 10 to 15 bucks net profit. But man, things tanked super fast, right? And we can we can talk about, you know, Monopoly for Millennials. There was controversy about that a couple of years ago. We could talk about, uh, what is it? Communist Monopoly or something like that. They came yeah, out. Something, I don't know. And that one got so bad that it was so in demand that Target eventually said, we're not even going to sell this item anymore, right? So- so is there an issue? There is an issue. And, you know, you can use software. There's BrickSeek, which a lot of people use, even with the premium programs, you still run into trouble, but depends what part of the country you're in. So I know some individuals that are in parts of the country that there isn't that much competition. They use BrickSeek and they're able to find a lot of good stuff. But now even like I'll go on and when I'm on TikTok, there are people just saying, hey, this is these aren't even resellers. These are just people looking for a deal. The latest one was like, you can get an iPhone X, I believe. Is it X or 10? I don't, I don't know. know. And you could get it for like $100. I don't use Apple products. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. Eventually, you'll come to the bright side or the light side, whatever you call it, the good side. And so, you know, this is on TikTok. And they're talking about using BrickSeek to find this phone. And this was in resellers. And there, were, I think it was like 200,000 likes on this video. So you imagine, even if 1%... Right. What is what is one percent of two hundred thousand? Twenty thousand. Okay. Right. That's all. That's all it took. Is it two hundred? No. It's two thousand. Two thousand. Two thousand. Two thousand people just got on BrickSeek throughout the country. Chances of you finding the item are done. And in San Diego, I don't use BrickSeek because I, I've had too many instances where it's like, oh, we have fifteen even available, and I'll show up to a Walmart and it's all sold out. Now there's tactical arbitrage which is another software. This It's a costly one, but you know if you're able to work it right, you can find some deals. But here's the problem. So tactical arbitrage, what it does is it runs a program and you put your search parameters, like how much you know ROI and the stores and so on. But if stores only have so many items that are profitable, right? And there's you know thousands of people on the software, chances are there's going to be a lot of people that are looking for the same items, right? So you either have to make the choice of, hey, I'm willing to take less money and maybe drop $20 to make $5 a piece in an item, or you can go out there and just scan, scan, scan till you find an item, right? Yeah, that's good. And that kind of brings up to another point is it takes a little bit more capital in some mm -hmm. ways, right? Like you can pick up for relatively inexpensive a pair of shoes, used shoes at a garage sale, right? Maybe $2, maybe $5. You're really paying up, okay? So you buy these and then you sell them for... $20, $50, right? So your your return on investment is often huge. Whereas you, we talked about the ability to scale. You go to Marshalls or you go to Target and you pick up a pair of shoes and maybe the profit margin is only 10 or 20 bucks per pair, but you're able to pick up 50 of them. So it, it, it works. But to think about that, if you may be spending $60 and you're going to sell it for 80 and or 90 and by the time all the fees and all the shipping, maybe you make 10 bucks, okay? So you're spending 60 to make $10. Now that takes a lot more capital. Now, again, the ability to scale is there. So if you can pick up a hundred of them, maybe you can pick up a thousand of them, right? So, so you have to have that upfront capital and that return is, even though it's a small return on investment, because you're able to, to scale it so big, right? A being able to get a, a 500% return on investment for a $5 item is great, but that's not going to make you rich. You know, you're going to have to do a whole lot of those. Whereas a 5% return on investment on hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of capital, well, that's a different story, right? All of a mm -hmm. sudden you're talking about some big money coming in. It's risky. But it's very risky because you're upfronting all of that capital. And so, yeah, I think I think that's one of the dangers. Um, and I know that there are some ways to mitigate that as far as, you know, are you, are you willing to go back and do returns? Uh, depending on the store, some stores will do it, some stores won't. Um, can you at least sell to break even? Um, can you, you know, maybe use it as a loss leader for something else? And in, in, if you're like bundling things or making bundles, I mean, there's various ways that you can write it off even like, okay, I'm going to donate this now and now it's a tax write off. Uh, but it is, there's a lot more risk when you've got that. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Hey everyone, ever found yourself too busy to list or wanting to scale and not knowing how? 
Well, we've partnered with a great service called Cellhound. They will help you do much of the heavy lifting and can benefit your business in many ways. Sign up for listing services with Cellhound and receive 25% off your first purchase or 25% off your first month of a Cellhound monthly subscription. You can do this by using our promo code, all in caps, PureHustle25. That's the numbers, 25. By the way, everyone gets three free listings to try out before any purchases. Just go to Sawhound.com and subscribe using our promo code, PureHustle25. So Orlando and I are always looking out for tools and programs that can be used in our own reselling to help improve our sales uh, and things that we can share with the community in order to help others. Uh, And we've been lucky enough to partner with two companies here at the same time uh, that we think do just that. So it's kind of interesting because both of these companies are competition. So, uh, you know, but this is a good thing that we're advertising both, I feel, because we are really, really big on letting you make decisions and not saying like, this is the way you should do things because you know, you know, what's best for your model of selling and what you need to be doing. Uh, so we've been able to partner with list perfectly and Vindu. And both of these are programs that can be used to cross list postings on multiple platforms. This is great because we always talk about the importance of being on multiple platforms and not putting all of your eggs into one basket. But one of the barriers to that is the time issue. And the nice thing with List Perfectly and Vindu is it allows you to make one listing that then gets cross-posted to multiple platforms. So you're not having to post things multiple places and spend that time. And in this case, that time saved is money you're making. So both of these companies have a special offer for our listeners if you were to sign up. Um, you need to sign up using the affiliate links that we have in our descriptions or show descriptions in order to get the uh, promotional codes. Uh, so first of all is List Perfectly. They're giving 30% off your first month, which is amazing. And they've got some incredible things that they they offer. So uh, for instance, your postings go to eBay, they go to Mercari, Depop, Grail, Etsy, Poshmark. There's just so many. You got to check it out. There's almost too many to list here. Um, and so if you sign up, you get 30% off, but you have to use our... our link and then use the code LP30. And then the other one is Vindu. Vindu is very similar. Uh, you're going to get 25% off your first month if you use our affiliate link. You don't have to use a promo code. Just click on the link in the description. Uh, and your your listings are going to go to eBay. They're going to go to Etsy. They're going to go to Poshmark. They're going to go to Mercari. So this is just a great opportunity for you to save some time, get on multiple platforms, and maybe make some more money. That small ROI and a big upfront investment. Well, I'll give you an example of, of a where I it dropped a lot of cap. I lost a lot of capital. I spent four thousand dollars on a certain product. It was it was a shoe product, and I I thought it was golden. Like there wasn't anybody on the listings on Amazon, and things were good to go. And I sent the item in, and I was making good money. But you know, I dropped four K, and I made about a thousand bucks back within a week. And then I get a cease and desist letter from the company. Now, Oof. people have different theories, like what to do with this. I'm more of like, I am not going to draw money on an attorney to fight something. And so whatever I can do to just prevent that, I will do. So I ended up getting that letter and I was like, um, all right, well, mm, yeah, okay. So I just lost $3,000, right? I made that back my thousand bucks, lost the $3,000 and it is what it is. Like season desist letters, they're a thing. So that is the I think that's the really bad. Mm, right? That's because really bad. you hear <laughs> you do hear worse stories. You, there's there's a lady that was being sued for by Patagonia for selling Patagonia. I know some people that have been hit up because of North Face. I know other individuals that have been hit up by other brands. And I know some that they've gotten like 20 cease and desist letters from a company and they're like, oh, whatever. Like they'll just throw it away and they keep working. But all it takes is one one place to literally follow through on what they say, file with the court and sue you, and then you have a predicament, right? And again, you know, we the the, the situa- situation you got to think about is like, hey, I lost three thousand dollars, but was it worth it to me to maybe get a letter and then have to charge at the at the least get charged a five thousand dollar retainer for my defense? It wasn't worth it to me, right? It wasn't worth it to me. And so you really got, got to be careful. The other bad part too is you can get a Vero thing, right? This happens all the time. We had earlier, we had talked about people that were selling Nike overseas, right? Retail arbitrage. And we figured out that if you do eBay global shipping, since it's okay through global shipping, you're okay. I've had some people kind of say that that might not be the case anymore, but I'm not 100% sure. 
But, you know, people sent over Nike shoes and boom, Vero. And sometimes you can get suspended for a Vero. Right. If it, if, if, you know, eBay thinks it's egregious or you can be, here's the other one. You can get accused of selling counterfeit goods and that's a really bad place to be. So I have somebody, uh, they're probably listening, but I know someone that sells a ton of DVDs, like a ton of DVDs. And I said, Hey, so I don't see you ever selling used DVDs. I mean, sorry, excuse me. I don't ever see you selling new DVDs. They're like, Orlando, we're not going to touch new DVDs. I'm like, why? Like, it's, it seems easy money, more profit. He's like, with the new ones, right? They will go after you more if they believe that it's fake or it's counterfeit. And you can get your whole account shut down. And so we're not even going to mess with it. Because at least with used, we ourselves can spot check, make sure everything's good and that it's not fake, even though there's some really good fakes. But, you know, sometimes you have instances where, there are very reputable companies that are selling fake items. For instance, I just saw that. I don't know if you know about those Nike Christian Dior's. Mm-hmm. So the, the Nike Christian Dior's, I want to take a look at how much they are worth thousands. Okay. Thousands. And so a lot of people bought these Nike Christian Dior's thinking that they were legitimate. And luckily, you know, they didn't, they didn't get them themselves. But right now I'm looking at StockX. The price for these are, yeah, it's at $10,950 for a pair of Nike Christian Dior's. <laughs> Would you ever drop that? I, I just couldn't do it. Yeah, just that's do it. nonsense. But, but hey, you know what? I'll, I'll power to you. If you can make it happen and it, and it doesn't cut into your budget, right? We talked about this and it's yeah. all good. It's yeah. all good. But if that's for, like buying a candy bar for you, then that's awesome. But last month, $4.3 million in fake sneakers seized, including 1,800 pairs of Nike Christian Dior Jordans. That's nuts. Right? So you imagine you think it's all good. You're you're selling retail arbitrage. You know your stuff is legitimate. You know it's all good. But then you get a claim. And then the time that you gotta spend with the claim, the 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 fact that you may end up, you know, having law enforcement get involved, that's just part of the I think it's part of the really bad of retail arbitrage that you gotta be careful for. So and and then there's the the one that we talk about all the time. Amazon. Amazon loves doing this where you're selling something and out of nowhere, boom, they gate you. And then you have to put in a removal order and now you have to sell on eBay and, and you hope to recoup your losses. So, all right. Yeah, did did we scare everyone from retail arbitrage in that last segment? Yeah. I mean, if, uh, <laughs> if you're, if you're afraid of retail arbitrage, good, there should always be a little bit of healthy fear, uh, because then you respect it a little bit more and you're going to go at it with the, uh, with the actual knowledge you need to mitigate and get through those issues. Right. If you go into it blindly and you're not aware of the problems, you're going to run into those problems and it's going to be worse. So it's okay, to, I think, to have a little bit of fear. Um, anybody well, anybody who's done retail arbitrage has, has experienced the problems. But at the end, like we're going to talk about at the end of our episode, there's the really, really, really good parts about it. And so you have to weigh out yourself and decide, is it is it worth, are the benefits, do the benefits outweigh the cost? And if they do, and if you can make the profit and you understand the risks involved, man, get out there and make money. Well, and I want to share one more story just because... So a lot of people always ask, you know, I bought it, right? So why can't I sell it, right? It's my property, right? And it's a first sale doctrine and and so on. But these companies have gotten around that law and this is how they do it. So you may go into a Marshalls and you'll buy a North Face jacket. And then, because North Face is notorious for this, like I stay away from North Face. And they'll send a letter and they'll say, no, this is, you know, breaking our, it's basically you are infringing on property, right? It's property infringement because the warranty. So you can offer the same warranty that we're offering. So therefore you are not allowed to sell this product, right? And that's how they get at you. So you think you're all good. You paid for it. Hey, I have the receipt. I have invoices, whatever it is. But if you can't offer the same warranty, which it's weird because you think the warranty would carry from the person that no, bought it. No, I mean, it wouldn't. I mean, it makes sense that it wouldn't. And I mean, it, it really makes sense too, from a company's perspective. Like if you're, if you've worked very hard to build a brand, you want to be the one responsible for that brand. You want to be the one to make sure that customer service is going through you, that, that the quality checks, all those things are happening through you. And so if a third party is buying your stuff and selling it, 
Um, well, who knows what kind of customer service they're going to get. So if, for instance, I buy stuff on Amazon all the time and I know, okay, is this coming from third parties? Is this coming directly from a vendor, right? There's a difference. And if you're buying something, if I buy North Face for the first time from a third party, but I don't realize because it's just the buy box on that shirt and then I get it and it's like, doesn't fit right or it's, there's something wrong with it. And I, you know, want something to be done. And then the third party person isn't giving me very good customer service. And it's like, well, I'm done with North Face. What a terrible company. You know, and so there, there, it does make sense from that perspective. I love how Mike brings the other side. I, I mean, you're right. I don't like hearing it, but you're right. No, I mean, and, and it, it, it totally makes sense too. Cause I mean, how long is it going to take you to ship it out? What if it takes you too long? What if you do send the wrong product? All those things now say something about North Face, right? Whereas if it's, if you're selling it used on eBay, nobody's thinking they're buying it from Correct. North Face, right? So there is a big difference when you're selling something new. And that is why. I mean, people can get away with it. You can get ungated and, and people will use like, well, I've got my Marshall's receipt. I got my target receipt. But technically the way the Amazon stuff is worded and why they can drop the hammer when they want to is you actually have to have an agreement with that company. You need to be a retailer for North Face or for- Even though Nike. Amazon gives you the wink, right? And they let you send it in. Hey, I mean, resellers can't complain about that, right? I mean, they give you the wink and the nod and then they let you do it and then they don't. but. You See, could there's just, just say, there's an injustice there. So, but would you I'm, rather I'm them multiple say, ends. but would you rather them say you can no longer sell anything no, unless no, you No, 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 I know. We've had this conversation. Right? Uh, so. On and off here. No, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. And we, you know, we even did that reaction video. You should check it out, by the way. Uh, the one about the Amazon empire, Jeff Bezos, whatever. But it was great because they were talking about the terms of service. And in the terms of service, you should read them because there are things you agree to that you're not even aware of. So you really got to be careful. I mean, I do, I do not understand why, how Marshall's is able to, you know what I mean? Like, okay, I guess Marshall's made that special relationship with the North Face. But then again, what if you get it as a Christmas gift, right? You can always make the argument like, hey, somebody gifted me this. Now, if you have a hundred of the same item, can't make that argument anymore, right? But that that's the thing. Like, how do these companies know? And that's where the injustice is. And I'm also a big believer in, capitalism like hey i purchased this item what is the problem you did the same thing what what is the big deal the warranty should go with the person because again if you stand behind your product you stand behind your product right so anyways that's my two cents all right i just want to share that with you guys so all right it's time for one of our favorite segments on the show man you really yelled that into the microphone oh, did i i'm sorry are you gonna have to adjust the level yeah that's one? gonna have to come down we don't blow people's ears out uh, but not, you, on, not on purpose yeah and it's good all right so this isn't one of our uh funny our, youtube, our YouTube videos meme videos or orlando's video <laughs> all right so but uh, it's that time for the come on hustlers it's the freaking hustle of the week yeah all right so our first hustle of the week comes from brandon uh he's on instagram and his handle is at oh i didn't put it on there i'm gonna look it up real quick all right you'll let us know uh so he has an instagram handle um <laughs> i'm so, so sorry brandon he has a friend who buys storage units i just thought maybe his instagram handle is at like maybe he's the only <laughs> no. maybe you are the original um so he, he buys storage units he's, his friend does uh but his friend doesn't like to deal with clothing so his friend contacted him um and so brandon drops a thousand dollars and picked up some stacks of clothing vintage and new let me pause it we could wait until no, the end I, to say I need their to name. Say right now. Brandon, in the eyes of underscore B. In the eyes of underscore B. All right. Thank I, you. I just, I just, I want them to know that it was him. All right, go. <laughs> All right. Uh, so he ends up paying $1,000 and picks up some stacks of clothing, vintage and new. Several brands such as Nike, Ralph Lauren, Patagonia, Orvis, Gucci, Marma, Doc Martens, a lot of really good brands, um, just to name a few. And so he doubled his money within a week with just uh, some of the jackets, and he still has about 20 uh, plus trash bags of neatly folded clothing to sell. Holy cow, Brandon. That's amazing. Um, I mean, that's great when you can have that kind of network where you've got people that, uh, that you, you can they don't do something, but you do. And you have that connection. I mean, that's really, it's super helpful. Uh, and that just goes to show if you're out there and you're reselling, you don't haven't built a network yet, start working on that network. And remember that's a network reseller to reseller, right? So sometimes we're so competitive, but remember we don't pick up the same items and we'll share that in a little bit. But the fact that he had that connection, like that, that's a lot. Do you see those brands? Those brands are like legit brands. Mm -hmm. So, all right. I will not interrupt Mike for the rest of this podcast. 
That's a big claim. I promise. I promise. All right. So uh, next one is Katie. IG handle you go girl 1968. I feel like I already like cheered her on right there. Right. Said a friend of hers knew she was a reseller and gave her a photo. Is that an alert? Okay. (laughs) A friend of hers knew she was a reseller and gave her a 44 pound IBM correcting selectric three typewriter. So just gave her the typewriter. Listed it on Mercari. You know, Mercari has like the best shipping rates. Mm-hmm. Listed on Mercari and sold for $500. So from free to $500, buyer tried a return and Mercari ruled in her favor. Right. And you know, that's the thing. Cross posting is a great thing, right? Because she also sells on eBay, sells on Mercari because the shipping rates are great. And on Mercari, their return policy is different. Now, I know a lot of people are upset about Mercari raising their fees. But you got to look at what platform works for you. So, Katie, you made the right call. You got it for free. You decided to list it. I'm sure that thing, I mean, 44 pounds probably was more than that when you packed it, right? And then having to carry that, that's pretty tough. Like, you're almost at the 51-pound limit where you have to put the sticker, like, team lift. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So, that was a good flip. So, nice work, Katie. IG handle, you go girl, 1968. Yeah, good job. Our next one comes from a really close friend of the podcast. So this is Mike. Uh, his IG handle is at vintage.games.plus. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever actually had a chance to meet him in person Still yet. Not yet. But I've met him a couple of times. I've seen him uh, once at a garage sale, once at a thrift store for sure. Uh, or I think a garage sale, a thrift store, maybe one other time, I think at a storage unit auction place too. It wasn't an auction, but it was just a storage unit. Like really? Sale. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so uh, he found a deal on OfferUp, which is a great place to source. If you're not sourcing on OfferUp, you should try it. Um, went to pick up a DVD recorder for $275. Uh, and Mike does a lot of uh, like vintage electronics and, and electronics. So he knows this stuff. So he picks it up for $275. But the guy also had a Sony disc DVD mega changer and he paid $75 for the changer. Uh, he sold the mega changer for $599 on Amazon. So I think he paid 75. He sells it for 599. And then he sells the Magnavox HDD and DVD recorder with SD digital tuner on Amazon for $1,849.99. I almost just feel like you're getting greedy there, Mike. Like that's, those are, those are some (laughs) incredible deals you've got. Well, here's the crazy thing. So we all resell in the same region, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, Mike's run into him, right? But there's plenty of the pie out there, right? Because I've been doing, have you been doing a lot of sourcing offer up lately? Uh, Not recently. Okay. But but I've been doing a ton. And actually, Mike has DM me and said, hey, there's a deal here on Harley stuff, right? And I've actually hit him up about like getting video games. Because by the way, if you're looking to get vintage video games, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do a commercial for Mike. Go to vintage.games.plus. He has great selection, legit stuff. And it's funny because... You know, that one thrift store we like going to, like the one that like you're always going to make dough on and Mike knows what I'm talking about. Like I've seen stuff there and I haven't picked it up and then I'll see it on his Instagram. I'm like, oh, I know where he got that from. Right. So listen, there's plenty out there. Right. For me, like the reselling scarcity mindset doesn't work. You just got to find what's good. And so, you know, I, I think Mike has sent me more leads than I've sent him on stuff, to be honest. But there's so much out there. And so, hey, shout out to Mike. And, you know, I still wonder, Mike, hit me up in the DMs. Let me know. I've shared that story about when I bought those two DVD players at the garage sale and then somebody on OfferUp was trying to buy them, but I had cash on hand. I wonder if that was you, Mike, because I still think that was you. So let us know in the DMs. But uh, yeah, that'd be funny. But I'm pretty sure he watched that story. So, all right. And now we have a call in hustle of the week. Yeah, which is great. So if you haven't had a chance to call in uh, uh, to us yet, we love calling hustles of the week because we could actually play them. So um, make sure to do that at some point. But here we go. Yo, what's up, guys? This is Eric from Block Party. We came across a hustle of the week uh, a couple months ago. We uh, someone, someone reached out to us about purchasing some Lucite bar stools. Uh, at 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 uh, fifteen dollars a piece, and we snatched them up and put them up on eBay for about thirty five hundred. We took a best offer before COVID for two thousand dollars, and uh, that person ended up backing out because they lost their job and everything, which was cool. Um, we listed them. We took another offer in July for about two grand on them, and after fees and everything else, we ended up clearing sixteen hundred dollars. This was a manufacturer called Hill Manufacturing. They're out of New York, and they made site 
uh, furniture, like mid, like mid-century modern stuff like that. So definitely something to be looking out for that mid-century modern, that like Hollywood glam style, blue sight, any type of furniture really is going to sell for you pretty quickly. Thanks for giving me a chance to call in and uh, peace. Nice. That appreciate awesome. that. So furniture, by the way, it, it, you know, that to me is the like untapped reselling market like i know pretty much every furniture person i know like is he able to flip stuff really quick right you just have to be willing to ship it or connect with another shipper or do it locally but uh yeah and that's not the only thing eric at block party ends up flipping he has a lot of good flips so check out the hustle week hashtag he's there that is an awesome flip man 15 dollars, and then i mean each but right. still clearing 1600 dollars, and you can't beat that so well, we've had some major hustles today yeah that's great now, Eric did also wanted to share. So everybody's been on this kick of Orlando's pronunciation. I think Buttons was one. What's, what's some other ones? Parcel, Merrill, and uh, there's been some other ones. Oh, Cricket was another one. So I, I am, you know, I did, I do have a master's, by the way. I did pass my GRE. So I know, I, and I know my words, but, you know, things happen. So we have, a, I thought this was pretty hilarious. So I want to play same thing, Eric and his wife uh, from Block Party. Also, I've got a gem for you. Um, my wife, who is German, who is a huge fan of Play Mobile, she would like to, to say something. Hi, Orlando. By the way, I love you guys. I watch every single episode of your podcast. So, um, and it's called Playmobil. Yeah, Playmobil. Playmobil. Yep. That's, I'm going to do that at garage. I'm going to go, do you have any Playmobil? Playmobil. That's good. <laughs> that no. Expanding my vocabulary every day. So thank you. Yeah. You, everyone, everyone sharing your hustle of the week and just sharing life with us. Yeah, share life with us. That's great. We love hearing from you guys. Um, and speaking of which, uh, you know, there's ways you can contact us on social media, oh. uh, which we haven't talked about yet. So we haven't because we've been rolling on this episode. So, hey, by the way, I want to say thank you to everyone. We have hit 20K followers on Instagram. Who would have thought? Like, seriously, who would have thought? And so appreciate all of you. We'll also hit 15K on TikTok. So thank you to all of you that follow us on TikTok. And we are also on Facebook, Pure Hustle Podcast on all three. We are on Twitter, Pure Hustle Cast. We're almost getting to 1K on Twitter. And as always, we are on YouTube. So if you want to check us out on YouTube, Pure Hustle Podcast, hit that bell notification. Actually, first you got to hit the subscribe, then hit that bell notification so you can catch us whenever we drop some videos. And also, you can give us a call like Eric did from Block Party, 619-738-1170 at 619-738-1170, or shoot us an email, podcast at gmail.com, podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And as always, thank you for all the reviews. They keep coming in. Shirts are being bought. Donations are coming in. We really appreciate that. We're kind of in a season right now where we're trying to find new sponsorships uh, to help us you know, financially be able to take care of some of the bills of running the podcast. So... Any help that you guys always consistently give us is always a huge addition to the podcast. So I want to thank you all for that. Yeah. All right. What's your hustle of the week? Um, so mine is nothing that big, but I, I want to go back to an earlier story from, I think, last month, like early last month. I went to a church garage sale. It was the only like garage sale that I went to or rummage sale that I went to that day. And I picked up like some hair dye. I picked up um, yeah. a bread maker. I picked up some the Lord of the Rings trilogy audiobook set. And I picked up like a nice pair of shoes. Um, I've listed everything other than the bread maker and I've sold everything but the bread maker. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, Love it's been it. kind of cool to know that like within just a few weeks, everything that I bought and, and man, I walked out of there for, I think under like 15 bucks or something. I paid like barely anything for all the stuff that I picked up and the, the hair product I sold. I think I mentioned that like last week, um, that wasn't a huge profit, but you know, made like 20 bucks on those, uh, then sold, uh, those pair of boots. Um, the, the Gore-Tex really nice Yoa or how do you say it? Oh, the ones you picked up were, they weren't Vasque. No, they were, is I think it's I O W A or. Oh, Loa. Is it Loa? Yeah, it's an L. L. Yeah, Loa. Loa boots. Yeah, so I picked up some Loa boots. I sold those. Uh, made like $80 profit on those. And then um, those the the audio books, I, I made 50 bucks on those. And I picked those up for like 2 bucks. So, I mean, it's just nice to see like when you can, instead of having a death pile, when you list everything and all of it sells and you're not just like, mm -hmm. yeah, I've still got like 10 items from that one, you know, buy. But it's like, yeah, I've gotten rid of everything from that one trip. Like, it's a good feeling. So, Hustle of the Week just to got it all listed instead of letting it sit in a death pile and uh, made money on it all. So it's good stuff. I love it. You know, it's funny because 
I've been having those moments too, where I'm thinking about garage sales. Like every garage sale we've hit during COVID, I've made my money back and more on every single one. So it gets me motivated to go out. It's just, you know, this last weekend was kind of rough. Yeah. Like Labor Day weekend. Like yeah. <laughs> plus it was 112. It was too hot. There's nobody gonna have it. Was it was crazy. So hot. all right. So I figured I'd do a retail arbitrage one, uh, being that I never do that. Uh, it just because I, I'm not a fan of sharing retail arbitrage because I don't want to just, you know, go out there and it, it doesn't only hurt my sales. It hurts the sales of other fellow resellers. But I think we've had enough time pass and uh, some videos have dropped about this location, too. So, uh, you know, I, actually, I'm not going to give the location, but I'm going to talk about the product. So. <laughs> so earlier this summer, I ended up finding a Lego set. It was a Lego Friends. It was a glamping Something to that effect. It was like, you know, like you're camping, but you're glamping. And Lego Friends does pretty well. So, you know, it depends on the set. And I found it at this one store. And you can only get this one item at this one store. And I think it, COVID has something to do with it. Right? And But the beauty of it is it, it hit all the check boxes that we talked about why, you know, retail arbitrage is good. Right? So it was easy to access. Right? So I only had to go to one store. Not one store, meaning physically, but one store like nationwide, right? So I didn't have to go to multiple stores, right? The other part of it, it was easy to scale. So this store has no problem with me buying tons of them and tons of them. So the first time I bought this set, I, I found it at one store and then I'm like, huh, rang is not bad. There weren't, you know, this is a time when there was no FBA. It was pretty much, unless it was essential. So I didn't merge fulfilled. So the first time I picked up 10 just to test it out. And so I recommend doing that sometimes. Picked up 10. I I they were, they cost, I believe they were $24.99 and I was selling them for 50 bucks. So I was making about 20, 15 to $20 net profit on each of them. So I picked up 10. Within three hours, I sold them all out. So I automatically I made 200 bucks. So I'm like, huh, all right, I'm gonna keep doing this. So the next day I bought another 200 sets. And I sold those 200 sets in five days. And so if you do the math, right, it's a lot of more money, right? 200 times 20. My math is just off. But, you know, that four, that's more than 400. That's 4,000, mm. right? Am I, what, what's wrong with me today? Anyways, all right. So then I'm like, okay, how much more can I buy, right? So I bought more. I went, so I already made $4,000, right? Net profit, right? This is within two days, right? Within two days. No, not two days, within seven days, because the second time was five days. So, so within seven days, $4,000 net profit, you can't beat that. So I went and I bought, I could only find so many more. I bought a hundred more units, all those sold, right? So why was this successful, right? So if you take a look at that, right, I made $6,000 net within two weeks. It's insane. Like, you know, you, you can't do that on most nine to fives, right? Unless you're a CEO, right? I mean, we're talking about lawyer money too, right? I mean, it, it, it's a nice amount for, here's the thing why it was so, so nice. One, it was one listing, right? I just had to go on Amazon, list it. I could list it in the store. The moment, I usually wait till checkout because I always worry like, what if I drop one on the way out or what if they don't let me buy? The other part was it was easy to ship. So all I had to do is I had, I found the 15 by 10 by six box on eBay. I purposely knew I was going to buy more. And so they're pretty good about shipping those out, you know, supplies, right? You get them like in a day or two sometimes. So I bought hundreds of those boxes. It cut into my profit a little bit. It was like a dollar for each, but it was simple. I just had to put in one box. I just got some paper, you know, to kind of protect it, but it made it okay. And I only had like five returns on all of those, right? Because it's a Lego construction set. You know, people are going to take it apart. Usually kids don't want to let go of stuff once they get it, even though you think you should return it. So it was, it was really nice. And on the listing, there was only, when I started it, there was only nine people on the listing. By the time I was done in two weeks, there was about 35 people on the listing, right? So my profit margin started, you know, kind of getting kind of tricky. Luckily, it stayed at the 1520. And here's the danger though. So the one store I went to was like, Hey, we have a whole pallet in back. Would you want to buy this? I'm like, yeah, I'm down. I I'm willing to, I mean, it's selling fast enough. So I'm like, how much would it cost me? They're like, it'll cost $11,000. I'm like, Oh, like, I know it sounds crazy, right? If you're, you're starting brand new, but the reason I like Amazon and retail arbitrage is because of velocity. You can get that money back. Right. So I'm like, Hey, I was willing to spend the 11 K on it, but here, here's the problem. 
it was a grab bag pallet kind of deal. So it meant that they have they had all their Legos on there, but it didn't mean that it was that one Lego friend set. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find out until they were about to bring the pallet out. And they're like, hey, we didn't see that. It was all of those. It was a hodgepodge. And so this one set, you only there was the only one that made money in that entire store. The other sets you couldn't make money on. But again, it was nice, right? I was able to scale. I was able to make my money fast, right? And sold through, right? All done. And now I hope, you know, if I run into that, if you run into it, it's probably money right now. I'm not sure. I haven't checked eBay or anything, but I'm sure, you know, if people look for it at Christmas and you held on to it, because that's what I'm finding too, is <laughs> some toys that aren't being sold no more. It's, it's obnoxious how much you can get. Like if you hold on to toys for a year or two and then try to sell it again, it's kind of crazy. So, all right. So that's our hustle of the week, which leads us to the best, yeah. the right? best of retail arbitrage. So the best, one of the best things is usually they're desirable items. I mean, everything should be desirable, but they're yeah. more desirable. Yeah. Specifically when you're talking about like, sometimes vintage stuff is very desirable and it has like a group of people who are into it. Uh, but oftentimes retail stores are going to have the things that are trending right now. Mm-hmm. Right. So what, what show are kids watching? Uh, what, uh, what, what style are the celebrities wearing? Whatever it is, right. That that's going to be what stores are selling. So, I mean, we talk about Q4 all the time and everybody thinks toys and there's other things you can sell them, but I think it's just a good, a good example for retail arbitrage in general, but you know, okay, what is, what's the big, is it, is it some new video game that's out, right? Is it the Nintendo switch, right? That's the thing that's been really desirable. You can't even get your hands on them. And really the only place to get them at the price that you can make a profit is a retail store, right? So, um, of course, of course, you can purchase them through eBay, Amazon, OfferUp, uh, but you're not going to get them at the price. So you typically are going to have to do some retail arbitrage to get the most desirable items. And you might have to fight harder. Usually the more desirable they are, the harder it is to find those items in the store. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also that that difficulty comes with more money. And I think that's one thing to keep in mind is there's always going to be a correlation not always perfectly, but there's usually a correlation between the difficulty of getting an item and the the desirability of it and the total profit you can make, right? So some items are going to be really easy. You can always pick them up, less profit, right? Other items are going to be really hard to get, but each one might be huge profit. So there's going to be that trade-off there. And uh, again, it's going to come down to how much time and energy and money do you have? What are your limiting factors? Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think retail arbitrage is the place to be if you want to get the, the hot items Um, Unless you're looking at really rare collectible vintage stuff. Yeah. And that's one thing you need to be careful of too when you do retail arbitrage is that I I shared this multiple times on Instagram last week that just because it's clearance, right? There's a reason that it's clearance, right? Doesn't mean it's going to sell, right? And so if you are able to get the more desirable items, man, you can make that money really quick, right? And that's part of the things about it's, it's less labor intensive. So for example, with that Lego set, right? It wasn't a lot of labor. I mean, all I had to do is go into that store, fill up my car. The listing was, I didn't even have to take pictures of the listing because it was Amazon. I mean, that's one of the beauties about Amazon is that if there's already a listing created, you don't have to do any of that, right? The only thing you have to do is list it, set your shipping, decide what you want to do, and that's it. You're done, right? That's why a lot of people pivot towards Amazon when they're scaling because they, they made a lot of money on eBay, but they see on Amazon, they're able to scale things faster and it's less work. Right. And if you have a busy family or you don't have a lot of storage space and you want to do FBA, like it's it's there for you, right? There there is an avenue. So the more desirable uh, yeah, the more desirable items are faster to sell. And the beauty of it is to me, it's one of the best tools ever is Amazon's ranking. Like the ranking does not lie. Right. If if there's a ranking, if it's under, for example, this item I was talking about on offer up right now, that's not a retail arbitrage item, but I can pick it up and I can sell it in 15 minutes. It has a ranking. I think the last ranking was like 545. So I know if I send it in FBA wise, it's going to sell the moment it hits the warehouse. If I do it merchant fulfilled, it may take a little bit longer, but I have nation, I have the nationwide prime on that item. It's going to sell for me in less than 15 minutes. Right? So I have no problem. For example, the other day, you know, I was on, running my errands and I just, I found one on offer up. I offered the person, I picked it up, I listed it and it's sold, right? So retail arbitrage can do that for you. Now, the other thing is outside, you know, when you think about labor intensive, it's 
you don't have to do a lot of, I would say a lot of inventory systems because it sells so fast. Right. Where like, you know, if we sell something that's like on our eBay side, for the most part, like if it's shoes, I have to go to that bin. Sometimes the bin is stacked. I have to find it. I have to go back home. I have to find the right box. I have to pack it. Or in retail arbitrage, you should have a system ready to go. Especially well, when you're it's talking Q4. specifically though, like if you're doing Amazon FBA, because th- this, the, the labor intensity, as far as the shipment and all of that would be the same if you're doing eBay, like if you're selling those items, eBay, whether you got it at a garage sale. Well, or- what I mean is if you get like a hundred of the same item, it's not as labor intensive because you already have the system in place. Mm-hmm. If you sell a hundred unique different items on eBay, yeah. it's more labor intensive. Yeah, harder to find a box and that kind of stuff. Yeah, Correct. I can and, and pack it. Yeah. But yeah, you're right with FBA. Yeah. If you're sending stuff to FBA, like it, it's beautiful. I mean, I love on Q, Q4 when you sell like 300 items in a day, <laughs> not having to pack any of those, like it, it's crazy. I mean, you do have to initially pack it, send it into the warehouse, but man, the fact that you can just, all you have to do is like refresh that screen on Amazon Seller Central, like it's nice. So the other one is the ability to make a lot of money in a short amount of time. And I think that's why people are so attracted to it because it, it is possible. It really is possible, but it is risky too, mm. right? We, I mean, we shared this on, on our interview of Flip Flip where, you know, for me, I was able to pretty much make all the money I needed to make for the summer and a little bit more in just a few weeks of time, right? I haven't talked about that item maybe down the road, but all I had to do is, all I had to do is fly into a city, find what stores had this item pack of all these items sent to Amazon within a week. I made all that money back and I made the profit and I was able to scale really, really fast. And it's, it's no joke. Like you could literally make tens of thousands of dollars within weeks doing retail arbitrage. Right. But again, it does take a hustle. It does take the labor. It does take the research. Like you got to factor all those things in. I had to travel to different parts of the country to make it happen, but the potential was so worth it that there's no question. Like if I could have, I told Mike the other day, I looked up, what did I say? Like all the way, I think I was willing to go as far as probably like South Dakota, right? Except this item was, you couldn't find it in South or North Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, Washington, all these West Coast states, I was trying to find it, right? Because it would have been worth it to me. So if you want to do retail arbitrage, hopefully this podcast gave you an understanding of, you know, Here's, here's why you could do it and why you should do it, but here's why you really got to be careful about it. But here's what is really possible retail arbitrage. Yeah. So where, where, are you, where are you on your retail arbitrage? I know you're doing some heavy stuff early on and then you kind of backed away a little yeah, bit. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I may or may not end up trying to do like Amazon and, and retail arbitrage with that, but just one of those things where it's, it's not necessary for us right now. with what we're trying to do. Um, and I think it would just be. It would be like, I don't want to say getting another job, but it would just be shifting everything to do more, you know, and um, we may or may not go that direction, but we do do retail arbitrage for, you know, random eBay things and we still get some uh, profitable finds there. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, one of these Q4s, we're going to jump in with both feet and do Amazon if it's not too late. So we'll see. I hear you. And so, and that's the thing you got to find, we always say it's the model that works for you, right? Because you may see a ton of people making a ton of money but you don't see all the other sides, right? They don't share like I shared with the fact that I lost $3,000 here. I, I've lost thousands of dollars on retail arbitrage, but I've also made thousands of dollars doing retail arbitrage. So, you know, it all depends, right? But hey, it's Q4 pretty soon here. I believe it's going to be one of the best Q4s we've seen ever, but who knows? We'll see what happens. I'm going to keep doing it. Hopefully this helped you out with retail arbitrage, but as always, make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling. Please. Please.